Hey everyone, welcome back to the Ugly Ducklings podcast with your hosts Bryce and Rashida. This is episode 18 and this week we want to talk about shit we learned in our 30s. And I mean we're still in our 30s so we still have a lot of things to learn but we thought we would um, kind of recap so far in our early 30s um, what we've learned. So I'll let Bryce kick it off per usual. Hey everyone. So Rashida, I don't know if you were like me growing up, but I definitely romanticized the heck out of my 30s before I got there. Like I had all these expectations of who I was going to, well, who I was supposed to be, excuse me, what I was supposed to do, who I was going to be with. And none of those things happened. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to start off, um, One of the biggest things I took away from my 30s was this, well, at the beginning of my 30s, actually the first month of turning 30, my birthday is August 11th. And I just learned that you don't owe everyone an explanation for anything. Like, I feel like when I turned 30, it was like a great loss of people in my life. Like I, I lost a lot of friends I lost somebody I was in a relationship at the same time what in a relationship with um I've lost a family member that was very important to me that passed away it was like a year of loss but I say all that to say is that especially when it came to the relationship I was in like I felt like I was always explaining myself always trying to be the best version of myself. And one day I just woke up and was like, yeah, this ain't it. I don't owe this person <laughs> anything. And the same goes for those following comrades who were my friends, you know? Like I woke up one day and was just like, this is like super unbalanced and I have to hold myself accountable 100%. Um, but at the same time, when I cut them off or had the conversation to end the friendship or just that I was pulling back, I realized that I just didn't have to explain anything. Like that's just how I felt. And I felt like the writing was on the wall. Yes. No, that's a good one. I think when I like go back at the, like when we first turned 30, cause I like how you were like what you've learned immediately. But I think for me, like when I thought about this podcast topic and like what I wanted to talk about, it took me a while or, you know, especially sitting here like, okay, what are the things I want to talk about today? What did I actually learn or what do I think I learned differently from my 20s, right? Because you are in your 20s and you think you're an adult. You think you know everything. You think you have it all set. But Similar to what you said at the very beginning, I envisioned my 30s very differently. Like I figured I'd already be in a very serious relationship and married. Like if you would have asked 18 year old me, I already have had children. Like I would be, you know, CEO of whatever company. And it's like, wow, none of that has come to fruition. So in one sense, when I turned 30, I felt like, damn, I'm really fucking up. Like I'm not doing shit. Um, But then it's like, well, like really think about these things, you know, other than being a CEO, which is very possible if I would have, I guess, been smart enough to 
or ambitious enough in my early 20s to start my own company. Maybe I could have accomplished that, but you know, rushing the like marriage and kids aspect, I'm like, no, I think it's better that you didn't accomplish that particular goal at such an early age. Like you are still learning yourself and learning to love yourself. Um, and I feel like the, your thirties is kind of where you get finally get to that point. And the first thing I wrote down when I was like, what did I learn in my thirties is self-love of like actually liking who I am inside and out. And when there are days where I fuck up, like, you know, trying not to harp on it and being too hard on myself where it's like, well, I'm such a terrible person. I don't deserve anything positive. Cause I would say my twenties was a lot of that. Like if somebody didn't go my way, it's like, well, you must've done something to deserve that. And so, you know, then there was like this hate going on as well. So I think that's something, the first thing I'd like to speak on, at least that I learned in my thirties. No, that's real. I definitely have been there. I think we're both still probably more critical on ourselves than we actually deserve. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I feel you. That was definitely a great point. Um, Yeah, I definitely thought that I was going to be somewhere completely different than where I'm at now. And that's not to say that where I'm at now is bad. It just wasn't, I would have never thought where I work is where I work. I would have never thought that the people in my life now, the people who I thought was going to be in my life are no longer here, right? But I always knew you were, so you're here. Yeah. (laughs) Right. There is still some parts of your thoughts that do come to fruition and are real. I think it's just like that pie in the sky, like view of this is what my life is going to look like. And maybe like your life will look like that eventually, but it's like, there's different paths and ways to get there. Cause like you said, when I look at my life now, I'm not unhappy at all, but it's just like, wow. Like if I, at 30, when I really was like, well, this is what I said I was going to do at 18 and I ain't nowhere near that. So in one sense, you're like, damn. But in the other sense, you're like, but you're still doing really well. You're enjoying your life. You're traveling, you're making new friends. You are making connections. So is it that bad? You know, it's like, no, you're okay. Right. No, that's valid. And, um, one thing one other thing I learned is to actually use time to my advantage so I felt like in my 20s especially I felt like I was rushing with everything rushing to make money rushing to make friends rushing to be in a relationship everything was a rush 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 and then almost like I I would say I I might be a little bit of an adrenaline junkie um and for anyone who doesn't know it's the, the person who has those feelings, you know, that, that excitement, always wanting to feel excitement and being addicted to it. Like that's what I felt like I was doing in my twenties. And then once I turned 30, I was like, no, I can't do this anymore because I'm not getting the results that I desire. And just even when it comes to just, even with your job or getting to know new people, don't rush it, just take your time. And I'm not saying go at a snail's pace, Because some people think taking your time means like, oh, let me just move here. And I just met Rashida. Let me call her once a month. No, that's ridiculous. Um, (laughs) But just like, don't rush into anything. Really um, get to know the people that you're allowing into your space. Even when it comes to like your career, really take some time if you're offered a job to decide if you actually want to take the job like don't just 
react right right away and say yes like really give it some thought say like hey can i have i'm going to take two or three days to think about this and i'll get back to you when i'm ready you know Mm -hmm. which falls which also falls back on to knowing your worth like don't ask for permission tell them what you're going to do like they offered you the job they could wait yes that kind of goes into what you were saying about um like essentially saying no right and like Mm -hmm. setting boundaries of like these people aren't serving me or these friendships and I'm going to remove myself and I actually don't have to even tell them but like I can say no to this any like I don't want this anymore and in your 20s I know I was a people pleaser you're an ugly duckling nobody likes you then all of a sudden people like you and so you want people to continue to like you mm-hmm. um, and you want your friends to be happy or proud or, um, oh my God, Rashida is such a great friend because she always does X, Y, and Z for me. But, you know, you do have to sometimes sit back and assess, all right, I'm doing all these things, but A, I'm always rushing and I'm out of time and I'm mm-hmm. exhausted or B is not being reciprocated. Mm. So why am I doing these things, you know, and really taking a step back? I know when the pandemic a single woman living alone, like initially, like mentally, that is like scary. You're like, oh my God, I'm going to go crazy. And right. then I was like, wow, like I have all this time to myself and I don't have to rush and be anywhere. Oh my goodness, this feels great. I can just sit here after work and watch TV or read a book or meditate or cook some meal. And no one is saying, Rashida, you have to be here at this happy hour for work or you have to do this, you know, work trip. Like I can just sit here. Oh, I'm good. No, that's valid. I, other than people actually losing their lives, I actually somewhat in a weird way enjoyed the pandemic because you know me, Rashida, I like to disconnect at times from people, um, like at least once a day. That's why I run and work out because it's my time to myself. But during the pandemic, like if I didn't want to go somewhere, I'm like, oh, well, I don't really feel comfortable. I can just stay in the house. Like I felt like (laughs) the expectations changed during the pandemic and was to me I had less responsibility and when well when it came to like my social endeavors um but now fast forward I'm like okay well now that I had all this time to myself and my boyfriend now I gotta water those plants again and just like start nurturing things that I used to do before the pandemic you know whether it's like going to the gym seeing friends, seeing family, um, oh, exploring some other hobbies, whether it's reading. Um, I don't ride a bicycle, but someone might ride a bicycle, just exploring other things that you may have not done during the pandemic in itself. And to my point, like, I just really enjoyed my alone time, like my time with Bryce. So. Yeah. Because you are your own best friend. That's the thing, right? Like you got to like hanging out with yourself and being in your own thoughts. Right. That's real. I mean, and although I was in a relationship, like the times I was working, although I am in a relationship, excuse me, the times that I was working um, from home, um, Bay was at work, you know, we're both essential employees, but I had the privilege to work at home. So I did get my alone time, you know, yeah. so that was always good. No, that's a good one. Um, So, okay. I mean, we're going to go back and forth. One thing that I have written down that I, what I learned in my thirties, which I should have done in my twenties 
is I should have been a rapper. So that was something, <laughs> I'm looking at your face. That was like, I was like, what is something that I thought I should have done that I didn't do? I should have been a rapper. First of all, all of these female women rappers out here doing their thing, I'm so excited and I love it. Like when I was in my early twenties, we only had like Lil' Kim and Foxy were already kind of like, you know, not, they were on their way out. Like they, yes, had their hits, but they were not no longer really making current music. And then you had Trina with a hit every now and then. Eve had already married Rich and was gone. Gone. So, and Missy was already done too. So it was like, we didn't really have any women really rapping. And like me and uh, one of my friends, we, we were rapping and we would do little clips just like, you know, like the mixtape style on that piff. And I'm like, damn, I should have done that and kept with it because when I be hearing some of these women now that are like legit and bred, I'm like, yo, I can rap better than this. This is crazy. Yeah, because I mean, all throughout college, there were no other than like the Southern rappers like Shauna and Trina. There were no like women MCs, um, except when Nikki came on the scene with Itty Bitty in 2009. And she came on the scene. If you don't remember, remember she like was like known for being like rapping about, I guess, having sexual relations with women. Like that was like a thing. No, I'm done. The, you don't remember that? Like, she's like, yeah, she was talking about like, and people were like, yeah, she cool. I'm like, that, that, this is how far we've come. <laughs> we've come a long way in, 10, in 11 years. Yeah, we really have. But yeah, and that's crazy. <laughs> I feel like you, uh, I always wanted you to take rapping serious. And I feel like it's never too late. You know, I just feel like, <laughs> There is a lane for Love Jones Mark out there because, you know, we live in this very colorist entertainment world where everyone looks like Black China, but that's a whole nother conversation. And I think (laughs) that there is a lane for a six foot two beautiful brown skinned Black girl from Brooklyn to hop on a track or two. I'm just saying, if you're listening, put her on. She got the bar ready. Let's go. What's good? What's good? I'll be your safari just for <laughs> me. <laughs> oh my God, that's hilarious. Yeah, I think also in the pandemic, I realized I was more of a creative. I mean, obviously my nine to five, I'm in corporate America. So I feel like to most people I present as someone who is not a creative. I don't necessarily try to portray as if I am, but I will say like on my alone, in my alone time, yeah, the whole like freestyling or writing raps, I'll still do it now. Or um, like I wrote a pilot script while we were sitting in quarantine, which I still need to actually put into some um, like screenwriting contest because I just wanted to do that just for me. But um, yeah, that's the other thing, like just learning or saying, hey, I have more hobbies than what I think, or I'm just not my job you know, in your 20s, you really try to define yourself. Well, I work at Apple and Google or I work at JP Morgan. And it's like, okay, that's cool. That's nice. Oh, you make, um, you know, over a hundred thousand. Oh, good for you. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're a great person or a high value person, as some might say, you know, like what else do you bring to the table? That's the uh, Derek Jackson lingo. High value. High value. <laughs> Oh, Lord. Yeah, I'm not going to have my boyfriend sitting next to me with a bonnet on. No, I'm not going to do that. I mean, Monique might snatch it off. So. <laughs> <laughs> I 
can. Um, okay. Another thing I feel like I wasn't bad at it, but I got way better at it in my 30s is money management. Ooh. Speak on it, sis. So early 20s, I feel like I was still I was making decent money considering like my age and stuff, but I was living paycheck to paycheck because I was not prioritizing certain things and having a real budget and following it. Um, now I got Excel spreadsheets, like it's a whole thing now, but also like reading more books on finance and understanding what does living in your means mean? And then also the true key to having financial freedom or having real savings is living below your means, right? So I know I read a book and it said, when you're looking to buy a house or even just renting a property, the amount that it would cost you should be no more than 30% of your income um, pre-tax. So then it was like, all right, you know, you do that number. And then from there you decide, you know, like, okay, let me take it even down further. So I was trying to, at one point I was trying to stay, keep it at like 25%. Um, and then like doing that, I think started, oh, wow, I have way more money because at one point I think I was at like maybe 40% of my income was going to rent. And it was like, that's not sustainable. And I know growing up in New York and growing up in, you know, in a family where we don't talk about money and you don't have money management, like conversations and skills, I had no clue. That's, so that's real. definitely something I'm proud of for myself. Cause it's like, if I have a flat tire, if I need new tires, if I need a rim, if my windshield gets cracked, I have money to get those things fixed without it becoming like, oh my God, I need a credit card. That's valid. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, definitely learned more about money management in my 30s. Um, I, you know, I've never really been a big spender. A lot of people say that I'm very frugal with my money, but I feel like I'm a, I'm really good at seeing the future. And I think I've inherited that from my parents or I've learned it from them. They're really good with like managing their money for like long-term goals. So, you know, if it's like, I want a new computer in my paycheck, I'll put like every month a hundred dollars to the side. And then by the end of the year, I have a computer. If I want to go on a vacation, I'll put like a hundred dollars away every paycheck. And then within five, six months, I got the vacation money. Like, you know, like I've always been, I've always calculated money. I'm always thinking about money. And I don't know if it's because I'm a computer science major where binary numbers just run throughout my head throughout the day. That's just how I'm wired. But yeah, I've always been really good with managing my money. And some people might call it good management. Like I said, some people might call it frugal, but it is what it is. That's just me. Yeah, no. And I, I know for me, like I even, you know, was talking to my mom about it and helping her make changes in her spending habits, because it's, if you don't know what you don't know, I think a lot of times with money management, and then a lot of what I think black people learn when you have a crisis, you just swipe a credit card. And then you figure out later how you're going to pay for it, not realizing that your APR is like 25% or something nuts. Like it's right. not worth borrowing that money. You know, I mean, granted, I know when some people don't have it, you just don't have it and you'll have to, you know, go through whichever means you can. But sometimes like, you know, you're spending that 25% interest on shoes from Aldo. You don't need those shoes, boo-boo. Right. Like don't get them. Right. No, that's valid. I know for myself, I don't know if this is like a rule, but I always have a just in case stash. Yeah. And that's like, 
if something go down with my computer, if, if my tire, if my car messes up, yeah, if I gotta make an emergency trip down to see my parents, or if I gotta make an emergency trip to see you, Rashida, like I got the just in case fund, so yeah. I'm not swiping that credit card because the only thing I use on my credit card, honestly, is literally if um. I can't think about how much money I have in my checking card. I'll swipe my credit card, but immediately within the same day, I'll um, go back and put money down back on onto my credit card. But I never go below $100 on my credit card because you always have to have credit to have some credit. So. Oh, yes. And when I realized I actually had good credit, um, you know, I recently bought a car and when I did that, you know, there was like no stress. There was no worry. I knew I was going to get the lowest interest rate possible there you know it's like credit is one of those corny things because realistically a lot of finance books tell you save your money and then pay cash but then at the end of the day it's like you still kind of need credit because when you're buying certain things they want to run your credit to determine whether you know you if you do not have all of the money up front you know what is the rate they're going to lend you the money at and then if you've just been using cash for everything else in your life and you've never opened a credit a credit card account now you have no credit so it's right. just it's just very frustrating but for those of you who may be listening who are still in college don't like get, open a credit card account for like the free penn state sweatshirt it is not worth it for a free pizza from papa john's because that was also a thing oh yikes let's like stop talking about like papa john's used to be good and then they weren't i just i had them recently and i was like this is trash or maybe my taste buds are just better i don't know no it, i feel like the crust got a little thinner and it's not as juicy i was just at papa john's for the garlic sauce that they should actually sell in the store because they that garlic should. sauce was amazing i don't know if it still is but that was the only reason why <laughs> to be transparent just the garlic sauce <laughs> No, the jalapenos for me. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Damn, yeah. Pizza Hut got my heart. They, that crust is still the best. Out of these, like, little... Out of all of the chains, those are the ones I like. Is Pizza Hut still thing? Like, are they still in business? They are, but they just have... They barely yeah. have any locations. Like, it's okay. rough. Yeah. You know there's only one blockbuster left, but that's a whole other conversation. Wow, okay. It's in, like... I forgot... I've met this woman at this store and she was telling me about it. Like there's only one left and woman will not sell it. Wow. But like, who's coming in? Like, I think people really go there. Just it's like a a tourist spot now. Oh, okay. Like, I mean, you could probably rent stuff, but like people go there like, Oh my God, it's the last blockbuster. I feel like it's in like Indiana or Nebraska. It's somewhere, somewhere that's not close to here. It's somewhere weird. Okay. That's funny. Wow. They should just let that go, but I get it. Um, Got to make money somehow. Okay. So on the topic though of money management, I one last thing I wanted to say on that before we move on was when I bought a house, Um, you know, I know a lot of people know of the first time home buyers program. Right. The one program that I learned about in my thirties that I ended up doing when I bought a house in Philadelphia was NACA. So for those who don't know, NACA is this government funded program you don't have to have good credit to do this program and you don't cap out at any income. You can make six figures and so buy a house under NACA and you have no down payment, no closing costs and no PMI. There is no catch. This is all legit. 
I bought a house in um, Port Richmond, Philadelphia doing this. So that is the only other thing in terms of money management, um, you know, for those who are looking to buy a home soon, because most people in their late 20s and early 30s are looking to do that. Look into the NACA Home Buyers Program. No, that's real. I remember when you went through that and it seemed legit. You just had to take some like, you know, classes, right? Yeah, you have to take like a workshop, then you meet with your mortgage counselor. And I know for a lot of people, it's a lot longer process than when you typically buy a house, when you just go to the bank and get qualified. So it is a little bit different. Yeah, for sure. They teach you, they teach you everything you're supposed to know. though. So that's good. That's a benefit. No, they do. They definitely do. You can't learn that from the bank. So (laughs) (laughs) no, you can't. So also in my 30s, I learned essentially when it comes to like my job, like don't let people lowball you, especially with your worth and how much you deserve to make. Now I say that to say, um, I know as a man of color and Rashid is a woman of color, um, statistically we will get lowballed when we get a new job. Um, and with the help of social media, apps like TikTok, you can learn how to actually um, speak up for yourself when you are offered a position and definitely just pretty much, like I said before, know your worth when it comes to whatever you're applying for. Um, Also with these jobs, like, and I think I touched on this earlier, let's say you're offered a position and um, the person was slow getting back to you, maybe HR was slow getting back to you, and you felt like the work environment was not very inclusive, or maybe the, the work, the employees aren't very diverse, um, it's okay to say no. Like, you don't always have to accept every offer you receive. And I think, like, growing up, our families don't necessarily teach us that, they teach us to kind of chase money and like, oh yeah, they offer me a job. Like my dad like, oh yeah, they offer you a job. Take it, take it. I'm like, but like at the end of the day, I learned, I, I don't know if I'm going to like these people because that's a component of your work environment, you know? Oh, so yeah. just really like know, know your worth when it comes to your career. Don't lowball yourself and really focus on that culture and climate because those three things really make a difference that's just my birthday oh I agree with you and I think in retrospect in my 20s I remember I went from a job and I don't and like I'm going to be making up these numbers I don't remember but let's say I made 65,000 and then the next job was only offering me like 70 people don't do that when jobs are trying to get you you need to be getting at least a 10% increase. Like, unless it's truly a difference in quality of life. Like, let's say you just really don't like the job you're currently in. You might take less or just barely any more or the same when you know your quality of life or what you like, the environment will be better. But when it comes to like, oh, it's just more money. If you're like chasing money, be more strategic with that. Because as Bryce said, because as a black man, a black woman, you're already going to be lowballed. Mm-hmm. When you take jumps in your career, you want those salaries to be significantly higher, like, or at least that's what you would be hoping for. But yet again, I do have friends that were, let's say, working at one of those great consulting companies or your tech, big tech companies and making bank, and then were miserable. Mm-hmm. Like, 
literally miserable, like mental health at risk. And it was like, you know what? I'm going to leave and I'm going to take a job, maybe making 10, 15,000 less. And they're much happier. So I'm not saying you always have to chase money like Bryce was saying, that's not what we're saying. But if you are in a situation where, oh, they're offering you 5,000 more and they're trying to make you seem like that's a big deal, it is not. Right. It really isn't. Right, exactly. Um, Yeah, you hit everything on the nail. (laughs) I just feel like money doesn't always equate to happiness, but also at the same time, if you're going to, if you're seeking a new opportunity and you're offered a position, don't settle. Yeah. And these companies will play you because like you were saying, know your worth because they'll offer you 80. And if you go on Glassdoor, you'll see that position, the normal salary range is 95 to 105. And it's like, excuse me. So now you have to go back and negotiate. And they usually have wiggle room in there because they're hoping you don't come back. But they know most, at least most white men do come back and say, hey, I want X. Right. That's real. And I would say with my last job, so my first job, I wasn't that happy. And then my last job, I left that one to... I left that one because the work environment started to change, right? But I say all that to say, I felt like in my last job, I was essentially lowballed, right? I took a, almost like a $10,000 pay cut in my second job um, for, to go from my first job to the second job, took a $10,000 pay cut. And eventually I made that money up no time within the mm-hmm. years of me working there. But then my workflow started to increase and my environment started to change. And I felt like I was being micromanaged. And then luckily I was blessed to receive this opportunity, which to Rashida's point, um, my current position is only like maybe what, 8K more, which is not that much, obviously, but my quality of life is much better. My work environment is better. But if I would have actually advocated for myself at my previous job, I probably would have had way more money there because when I left it, when they reposted a position, they were offering essentially 15 to 20K more than what they offered me. Wow. Right? So, yeah. Yeah, I feel like you learn, you go, you do stuff and then you learn along the way. Like, that's all this is. So this is yet again, me in my 30s, hoping that people in their 20s, early 20s, particularly mid 20s are listening to this because you just don't know what you don't know. You're probably in your first or second job in your mid 20s. Yeah, that's, if that. Yeah. I mean, the way this is set up, especially, I don't know what the numbers are looking like post-pandemic, but like, I wouldn't want to graduate this year, 2020 or 2021, because I don't know if the job market is even booming. It wasn't booming when we were in our 20s. No. Yeah. Remember, we came out, it was a rece- recession and yeah, kind of heading that way again. Mm-hmm. So Rashida, what, uh, one last thing, what, you, what else you learned in your 30s, girl, so far? <laughs> so I want to speak on dating and relationships quickly. Um, I learned two things. So the first one is you can be great and someone is still not going to want you. So okay. um, I think a lot of times, you know, I was definitely one of those people that was rushing to be in a relationship. And I was like, I want a boyfriend. Like I'm in my twenties and I'm checking all these boxes. Where's my boyfriend? 
and um he was clearly nowhere to be found but in all the dating that I was doing you know a lot of times when those men lost interest I would be like well what I must be doing something wrong so for Mm. me I took everything as I wasn't doing something right right like I wasn't either submissive enough or nice enough or pretty enough or short enough or whatever it was always me it was my problem it's like no Rashida like sometimes it has nothing to do with you why you and a person are not compatible or why they didn't choose you back right not taking it as such a ego or self-esteem blow so that's the one thing the second thing in terms of relationships that I feel like I learned was mental abuse is real in relationships and don't downplay that a lot of times it's like people want to see physical scars to believe that you have gone through trauma Mm-hmm. so I feel like I try to be more open to that and particularly when talking to men um, about their past relationships that they would be open enough to share like okay you guys broke up but why what really happened like what trauma did you actually experience right and maybe they didn't experience any trauma but like in the scenarios where you can tell some of them have like really talking about that because if you don't it may come back up. It may end up haunting you. And not that that man would, or that woman would bring that um, abuse onto you in terms of like abusing you directly, but they may have so much trauma that it still ends up being baggage and problems in your relationship. No, those are a solid two points. And I think to your first one, um, definitely you're never good enough for the wrong person. Yes. So at your best, it's still not it's still not gonna work because it wasn't never meant to, you know? Yeah. So like those times where we beat ourselves up and we try to look inside for something and there really wasn't much to look at, you know. It was a those experiences were experiences and lessons, you know, that were meant to happen. And we, you know, we spent so much time saying, like, what could we do? What if I would have done this differently? If I wasn't so clingy, if I didn't cause much, if I didn't have sex the first time I met you, none of this would happen, but it it didn't matter because if you didn't do those things, you wouldn't have learned the lesson. You know, everything was supposed to happen. And to your second point, um, yeah, the thing with emotional abuse is that there are scars, but no one sees them. Yes. You just ex- people just experience them because they come out during experiences. So, like, when you are emotionally abused, don't expect your friends or family to even believe you. The only people who really understand you are people who've also been emotionally abused, because you can't really ex- you can't explain it to someone who's never experienced it. Yes. No. And I think that kind of goes um, in hand in hand with sexual assault. I don't want to get too dark mm-hmm. on here, but um, that as well, when you have been sexually assaulted, a lot of people don't get it. They will downplay it and they'll be like, oh, especially like on the woman's side, well, you drank too much or well, you were hanging out with him or blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, like sexual assault is still sexual assault. And for anyone who hasn't watched the show, I May Destroy You, that show does a great job of showing all these small things that happen in relationships or just dating that are actually assaults, but we don't call them that because we've just normalized that behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, that's real. And I think like, honestly, they don't do a good enough job. We don't do a good enough job teaching our children or even at school 
what sexual assault looks like as an adult. Yes. Um, and I say that in both ways. Like some things, some things people take as sexual assault are not actually sexually are not actual sexual assault. And then some things that people feel like aren't sexually assault are sexually assault is considered sexual assault. So I just feel like there's this a misinformation across both sides. And I don't think it's fair to invalidate anybody's experience at all, which is a lot of times what people do, especially when it comes to a woman who has an allegation against a man or a woman who is has a good repertoire with the people in their lives. People will completely like dismiss that. Like, oh no, that person's a good person. They would never. I mean, two things that are said could be true. Like this person could be a good person and they could have sexually assaulted me. Yes. Yes. Just saying. <laughs> and man, also men get sexually assaulted too. And that's often overshadowed. Like oh, yeah. I've heard that horror stories be. about gay men being sexually assaulted. Like oh gosh, yeah. I'm I've witnessed my homeboy get assaulted by a woman. I mean, people wouldn't say it was sexually assault, but when you pull out somebody's penis and they keep telling you no and keep pulling it out in front of everybody, it's sexual assault. Yes. <laughs> wow. That's actually oh my God. Is this in your 20s or your 30s? This is 20s, but I wasn't in, I just heard about it, but I wasn't like there. Okay. So I was like, that's a lot. Damn. And then if you would have punched her, it would have been like, yo, this is wrong. Don't hit women. It's like this woman was like touching his private parts. Like, what? Like, and yeah, he said, he's, no. like, he's like, yo, chill. I think he did end up pushing her, but it was just like, I mean, are you going to blame him? Like, yeah. Ooh, yikes. There's just certain things, man. But yeah, that's one thing I was <laughs> on the darker note. A mental abuse, sexual assault, mm-hmm. things of that nature, you know, they're very real. And I think we think we just are desensitized because we see it so much on television and in movies that like when someone talks about it in real life, it's like, oh, you'll get over it. Like, it's fine. It's like, it's actually not fine. Right. No, it's real. It definitely has long term effects. And I just think, like I said, there's a lot of misinformation on both sides. And and I think also it's one of those things that's very difficult to quantify. Cause it's an experience. It's a, it's a, somehow someone feels, you know? So yes. And people are very dismissive of those things. Yeah, no, that's, that's very true. Is there anything else um, in terms of your thirties that you've learned you'd like to share before we close out? I mean, we not that deep into our thirties. So I think we hit the good ones. <laughs> <laughs> I know we still got, oh, you know, we got a while to go. I ain't going to say we got a while. We got a while. We're not even halfway there yet, so. No, we're not. Yes, I'm still in my early 30s, guys. Yes. Trying to age like Gabrielle Union. Okay. Okay, Gabby. Yes, shout out to Gabby. Shout out to Dwayne Wade, too, owning the Utah Jazz. Okay, anyway. Okay, shout out to him. <laughs> but okay. anyway, thanks, everyone, for listening to us, um, Ugly Ducklings podcast. Please slide into our DMs at Bryce Lennon or at Love Jones Mark. Let us know what you think. Send us some topics that you would love for us to cover. Um, we have a few more episodes left before we wrap, wrap up season one. So please let us know your thoughts and we hope to catch y'all again next week. Bye. Later.